there has been a saying, I'm not asking for a show of hands, so don't do that. Um, there's a saying that's been around for a, a long time. I've had it said to me. You may have had it said to you. And that's, uh, I don't get mad, I just get even. Well, two of the many things that are wrong with that statement uh, is, first of all, the lie that the person doesn't get mad because if they, if, if, you know, if they weren't mad, they wouldn't find a need to get even. That just makes sense. Uh, you, you didn't, you know, the, the guy who, the guy who uh, maybe took too long at the stoplight in front of you this morning, um, you don't feel the need to get even with him. Uh, at least I hope you don't. Uh, you know, the, and and the uh, you know the cashier who maybe counted your change wrong the first time, and uh, you you don't necessarily find a, a need to get even. So you know, the fact that they even say that shows the fact that they're. That uh, that they are, you know, that they they are mad. Also, I have found that they are not really interested in getting even. More that they are trying to make the other person suffer to a greater degree than they themselves have had to experience. Even really isn't part of what they're shooting for. It's pain and suffering for you. I mean, you know, or or the other person, whatever the case may be. Um, now. That we're all familiar. We're all familiar, uh, most likely, with revenge. Probably from both the giving and the receiving side. Uh, you know, it's unfortunate to say that, but you know that's probably true for us. Uh, revenge is one of the subjects that comes up in the passage we're going to look at today. After we pray, so let's pray, and we're going to get into this passage a little bit more as we're trekking through the life of Jacob here. Father, thank you for your grace and that you didn't seek revenge on us, but you gave us love. You gave us, you, you reached out to us in a life-transforming way. We just celebrated that with communion. And now we get the opportunity to go on and to continue on with you and growing in you and, and seeing what it means more to be your people. We have, we have many areas. I know I have many areas in my life that still need that, that uh, more of a transforming touch from you. I pray that you would reveal yourself in your word, continue to do that as you have been doing that for us, that people would be drawn to you and what you say and who you are, and Father, that we might uh, that we might be some of those people who can say a little bit more, a little bit more clearly, uh, that I am God's person. We want you to be glorified in what we do here and in what uh, you do in our lives as it's lived out each day. So guide this time, we pray, toward that end in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 34, so if you want to turn there, Genesis chapter 34, it's on page 30 in the Pew Bible, if you're using the Pew Bible, and I'm going to be reading from that translation, the Holman Christian Standard, I almost said New American Standard, the Holman Christian Standard is what's there. Uh, This chapter touches, what you need to realize as we start this, this chapter touches on a few subjects that make us cringe. Uh, some subjects that we would rather avoid, um, but I believe God put them here for a reason, and I believe some of us will discover that reason today. I don't think God puts any filler in His in the Bible. It's all there for a reason. Our our challenge many times is to wrestle with what that reason is. Now this is a long passage, but I'm going to read the whole passage. Uh, straight through together today uh, and um, it may seem a bit raw to some of you 
but it is God's word. Uh, verse 1, Genesis chapter 34, beginning with verse 1. Dinah, Leah's daughter, whom she bore to Jacob, went out to see some of the young women of the area. When Shechem, son of Hamor the Hivite, a prince of the region, saw her, he took her and raped her. He became infatuated with Dinah, daughter of Jacob. He loved the young girl and spoke tenderly to her. And get me this girl as a wife, he told his father, Hamor. Jacob heard that Shechem had been had defiled his daughter, Dinah, but since his sons were with his livestock in the field, he remained silent until they returned. Meanwhile, Shechem's father, Hamor, came to speak to Jacob. Jacob's sons returned from the field when they heard about the incident and were deeply grieved and angry. For Shechem had committed an outrage against Israel by raping Jacob's daughter, and such a thing should not be done. Verse 8, Hamor said to Jacob's sons, My son Shechem is strongly attracted to your daughter. Please give her to him as a wife. Intermarry with us. Give your daughters to us and take your daughters, our daughters for yourselves. Live with us. The land is before you. Settle here. Move about and acquire property in it. Then Shechem said to Dinah's father and brothers, Grant me this favor and I'll give you whatever you say. Demand of me a high compensation and gift and I'll give you whatever you ask me. Just give the girl to be my wife. But Jacob's sons answered Shechem and his father Hamor deceitfully because he had defiled their sister Dinah. We cannot do this thing, they said to them. Giving our sister to an uncircumcised man is a disgrace to us. We will agree with you only on this condition if all of your males are circumcised as we are. Then we will give our daughters, take your daughters for ourselves and live with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us and be circumcised, then we'll take our daughter and go. Their words seemed good to Hamor and his son Shechem. I don't know why. Uh, the young man did not delay do, in doing this because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. Now he was the most important in all his father's house. So Hamor and his son Shechem went to the gate of the city and spoke to the men there. These men are peaceful toward us, they said. Let them live in our land and move about in it, for indeed the region is large enough for them. Let us make their daughters, let us take their daughters as our wives and give our daughters to them. But the men will agree to live with us and be one people only on this condition. If all of our men are circumcised as they are, won't their livestock, their possessions and all their animals become ours? Only let us agree with them and they will live with us. All the able-bodied men listened to Hamor and his son Shechem and all the able-bodied men were circumcised. On the third day, when they were still in pain, two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords, went into the unsuspecting city, and killed every male. They killed Hamor and his son Shechem with their swords, took Dinah from Shechem's home, and went away. Jacob's other sons came to the slaughter and plundered the city because their sister had been defiled. They took their sheep, cattle, donkeys, and whatever was in the city and in the field. They captured all their possessions, children and wives, and plundered everything in the houses. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me, making me odious to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. We are few in number. If they unite against me and attack me, I and my household will be destroyed. 
But they answered, should he, have, should he have treated our sister like a prostitute? Now, this chapter is like watching a train wreck. I mean, it really is. There's one issue that precipitates many others. And before long, there is this huge pile of wreckage spread out over the whole area. Now, some of this will be difficult to listen to. But I, please listen. And when I'm finished, if you think I've misrepresented God in some way or misrepresented what he said, then come and talk to me, you know, and we'll, privately and, and we'll, we'll discuss your concerns here. Now, the wreckage begins as Dinah heads out to see some of the young women who lived in the area. Now, Dinah is the only daughter mentioned in the earlier chapters as Jacob is having children in, competi- in the competition between Rachel and Leah, you know, to see who is the most loved wife. And as they're having these children, Dinah is the only daughter mentioned in that, in that earlier uh, passage, that earlier genealogy that comes there. Now, it says, a man from the region sees Dinah when she goes out to see the women of the land, and he takes her, he rapes her, and then he decides that he loves her, and he wants to marry her. Now, while this is not the main focus of this passage, and it's not the main focus of the sermon, I, I feel that I need to pause and address this issue here. It's mentioned that after Shechem rapes Dinah, that he actually comes to love her, it says, and speaks tenderly to her. Now, we need to understand this. You know, girls and boys, men and women, you need to understand this. You never have a right to force yourself upon another person, particularly sexually. You never... You never have that right to force yourself upon another person. Now, if a boy truly loves a girl or a man truly loves a woman, he will respect that girl or that woman enough not to force himself upon that woman. If you find yourself in a situation where you feel you are being forced, it is a sign, it is is an indication to you that this is not love. We live in a very sexualized society. Sexual tension is used to sell products that have absolutely nothing to do with sex. Cars, food, travel, beverages, clothing, car parts, you know, the list just goes on and, 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 and on. Sexual situations are thrown into entertainment even when it has nothing to do with the plot of the program. And it doesn't even have to be a program that has a plot because programs that don't even have a plot end up with sexual things thrown into that. Game shows, cooking shows, talk shows, all of a sudden the talk becomes innuendo. Because it's just, we live in a very sexualized society. And even in the time where, you know, we think we're a little more attentive to that, you know, and they have this Me Too movement and all these other things going on, uh, sexual talk is all too often accepted as a normal part of a conversation. It doesn't have to be on TV. It doesn't have to be out there. It's even in the conversations that you get into during the week. Sexual innuendo and sexual, it is just seen too often 
as just a regular, common part of the conversation. Now, I believe that we also need to admit that it is not always unwanted conversation. It's that attention, you know, and sexual flirting by both men and women are all too easily accepted in our society. There are things that I should say to no one but Ginny. There is a way that I speak to women that should, that is, should be totally different than the way I speak to my wife. And men, you know yourself, it's not always what you say, but how you say it. Now women, lest you think that men are the only ones, you know full well the conversations and the things that come up and is brushed off as girl talk. We need to avoid these things. Understand that our society's values are not an excuse for us to ignore God's directions on morality. Just because it is accepted in our society does not mean that it should be an accepted part uh, for those of us who, who live for Christ. You know, rather what we have here, our society's values are a warning for us. They are a warning that we need to be extra vigilant. We need to set up extra precautions, extra safeguards, specific safeguards to help us follow God, you know, rather than give in to society as an excuse for sin. I've been a pastor for 37 years. I've done a lot of weddings. I didn't count them, but it's a lot. And in all of those weddings, I was, I was trying to think, and, and I, can only, I can only think of one couple where the first time they ever kissed was when I said, you may kiss your wife. And that was their very first kiss. And I said, well, that's, Pastor, that's just ridiculous. No, see, there's, the problem what's ridiculous is that we think that's ridiculous. I'm not saying that that should be the standard. What I'm saying is this couple, this couple set up a standard that they would not cross. And for them, that's where they felt that needed to be. That it needed to be there. And they stuck with that all the way up until their wedding. They stuck with that standard. You see, the fact of what goes on in our society, it should be a warning to us that we need to be extra vigilant. We need to be extra cautious. We need to, we need to set up safeguards. People laugh, you know, at our vice president because Mike Pence and his wife have an agreement that he will not be alone with another woman who's not his wife. Excellent standard. Excellent standard. One of the things that we have in place, you know, is, is, is that, is it, 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 as, as it, well, as a church, you know, Kent and I, you know, and it's one of the same things we have in place. You know, that, 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 not to happen. And, and, you, you know, we, you need to set up those boundary lines because we live in a society that doesn't have any boundary lines when it comes to that. 
And God calls us to be different. He calls us to be his. Now, in their society, for a girl to have sex outside of a marriage made it very unlikely that she would ever get married because she was defiled. In fact, that word is even used here. She was soiled. You see, she was, she was, she was no longer, she was no longer what someone would desire. Now, the same standard would hold true for a man, but because under the Old Testament law, both of them were to be stoned if, you know, if, if that, if that happened, both of them were to be stoned, not just the woman. The woman and the man were both supposed to be stoned. You know, but it was, it was certainly much more difficult to prove that a man had done it unless you caught them in the act, which is an interesting little caveat to you for in John chapter 8 where the woman caught in adultery and says she was caught in the very act but yet they only brought the the woman there but according to the Old Testament law they they violated that law and they're both subject to that now the phrase at the end of verse 7 it couldn't be any clearer in the Holman Christian standard is very clear such a thing should not be done Such a thing should not be done. Sex outside of marriage should not be done. To be clear, it is a sin. It is a violation of God's direction and a violation of God's standards. Now, just so we're clear, being raped is a sin by the rapist, not by the one being raped. Just so we're clear on this, just so you understand that. It's not a it's not a sin by the victim. It's not what we're talking about here. So so what do we do, you know, what, what do we do if sex outside of marriage was or is our practice? What do we you do the same thing as you do with any other sin. You see, this is not a special category. This is in the category of sin and it's the same thing. You stop sinning and you confess to God. Just as you are to do with any sin, you stop sinning and you confess to God. In 1 John, he's writing and he says, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. The truth is not in us. You see, so it's not just, it's not just all those other people that he's talking about. He's talking about any sin that we have in our life. He says, if we confess our sins, He's faithful. He's righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we bring those things to him, you stop sinning, you confess to God. You stop doing that thing, you confess to God. There's been more than one couple. You know, Ginny and I, you know, we, we talked with and we counseled with and they were, you know, they were, they were, uh, they were, you know, they were living together and they were having, having sex and, you know, and we talked to them and, uh, one of them then ended up moving into our house that night, you know, to, to, it wasn't anything we were, you know, ready for. And, uh, why? Because you see, you, you, you stop sinning and you do it. And the, and the other couple, you know, the guy came to me later. He said, you know, she won't have sex with me now. What would you guys do? I said, we didn't do anything. All I tried to do is be very clear with what the Word of God says. Now, both of these couples, you know, they did end up getting married. That doesn't always happen. But, you know, the, the, the fact is, what, what do you do? Well, you, you repent, you stop doing it, and you confess you bring it to God and He is faithful, He is just, He will cleanse you. He cleanses us when we come to Him, when we bring it to Him. God doesn't bring these things to our attention to, de- to, to depress us or to defeat us. 
He brings it to us so we will come to him for forgiveness. If we say we don't have any sin, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. Same as with any other sin. You stop it and you confess to God. Let's get back to the train wreck here in Genesis 34. After Dinah is raped, Shechem finds he really desires her. He wants to marry her. Uh, Dinah's father, uh, Jacob, hears about the rape, but he keeps silent, you know, because his sons were in the field with the livestock. Now, some of us say, what an outrage. You know, you can have, yes, perhaps, but, you know, also what you need to realize is he was odd man out in that society. We're not talking about a nation here of Israel. We're talking about one man, Israel, Jacob, who was there, and he was the outsider. He was the one who didn't belong. He was the one who would not be believed. There were not any police to go to. There was not a police department for him to turn to to report this. Now, it says that then Shechem's father, Hamor, comes, he approaches Jacob, and he tries to broker a deal for marriage. Now, this is standard process. This is standard process for them. It wasn't just because of what went on. It's standard process. They would, even if there, even if there were, even if there, there were no rape, there, even if there were, they were never together beforehand. The, the, the father would go and broker a deal. Sounds kind of crass, but broker a deal for marriage for this, this other woman. It was, they were arranged marriages. So that's what you see going on here. You know, and Jacob's sons heard what had happened. It obviously then wasn't a, a terribly well-kept secret because Jacob heard about it. His sons then out in the field, it says, heard about what happened to their sister. It says, so they returned from the field and they were both, notice it says, grieved and angry. I personally know three women uh, who I care deeply about uh, who were raped. Um, one's a family member, one's a friend, uh, one is a member that I, uh, a person that I happen to pastor. And I remember exactly where I was when I heard about each one of them. And I also remember the anger and the outrage and the grief that I felt because this happened to them. We can't stop our emotions from coming. We can't stop them from happening. But we can choose how we respond to those emotions. It's not just in a situation like this. It's in any situation. It's in any situation, whatever you, we can't always, we cannot stop those emotions from coming, but we can choose how we respond to those emotions. In fact, you need to grasp a hold of the reality that you do choose how you respond to those emotions. Now, the choice is not always easy. In a situation like this, when someone we love is hurt, it is incredibly difficult not to lash out. It is incredibly difficult. We want justice, and by that, what we mean is we want the person to be punished, and we want them punished severely. Now, Jacob's sons here choose poorly. They choose revenge. And there is a difference between revenge and justice. Revenge is when I lash out from my own anger, from my own hurt, from my own frustration. You see, that's what revenge is. I am lashing out. 
It doesn't always have to be in a violent way, but it is a determined lashing out from us. And it is usually an overreaction that is focused on punishment. And usually the punishment that we have in mind is rather extreme. I can tell you, you know, the, the things, even just talking about it again, that, that went through my mind of what I would like to see to happen to those who, who, who rape these people that I know and that, that I care about. And you see, it's usually, it's this, it's this overreaction in our minds because revenge ignores God. Revenge ignores God. Now, it's very different from justice. Justice is an organized process of officials following laws of actions and prescribed consequences for those actions. Now, let me say, don't let the abuse of justice that we sometimes see, don't let the abuse of justice cause you to dismiss what it is supposed to be. Don't let it cause you to dismiss how it is supposed to function. You know, it, it is an organized process of officials, those who are tasked with those responsibilities of following laws and actions and prescribed consequences for those actions. Justice is usually a measured reaction Focused on repentance and reconciliation. You say repentance and reconciliation. Yes. When they send someone to jail, they do it so that they might, so that they might have a sorrow for what they have done and they would change their, they would change their behavior. That is the goal of jail. You say, well, that's not what it is. Again, I'm not talking about what it is. I'm talking about the, what it's supposed to be. Jail is supposed to be a, a time where they can be rehabilitated into productive members of society. And again, you're saying that doesn't happen. That doesn't change what it's supposed to be. This, this is what it's supposed to be. And justice follows God. Now, not always intentionally in our society. But generally, it is in line with God's standards and it is in line with God's directions. Begin looking at the law that we have in the country, the laws that we have in the country. And as you're reading through your Bible, what you will find is over and over and over again, oh, it's right there. It's right there in God's Word. There is a difference between revenge and justice. Now, certainly, you know, there is certainly resistance to Shechem's desire to marry Dinah here, and much of that comes from Dinah's brother's um, desire for revenge. Now, when asked what they might be able to do to convince the brothers to allow Shechem to marry uh, Dinah, in verse 13, it tells us that they intentionally answered them deceitfully. They intentionally answered them with, with purposeful intent to mislead them. That was their goal there. Now, here is a real big warning sign for you. If you feel that you have to resort to deceit, if you feel you have to resort to lying, that is a very good indication that what you have planned is sinful as well. Let me give you an example that I, that I, I think you will very clearly identify with. Think back to when you were a teenager. 
Now, do I have to say any more? And your parents ask you, what are you doing? Where are you going? I'm going to go on on a limb here. My guess is even Kent wasn't always as straightforward as he should be. What do you think? Yeah, we won't pretend. But, you know, but, but there, there it is. Because what we don't, we don't want, want, you know, we didn't want them to. It's a real good indication then that you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. Four times here, it mentions that their actions were prompted by what happened to their sister. In verse 7, it says their anger was because of what happened to their sister. That's understandable. It's understandable. Again, the, 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 the emotions, you know, we can't stop them from coming. It's very understandable. You know, in, in verse 13, it says, Then they lied to Shechem and Hamor because of what happened to their sister. They made a decision on how they were going to respond, and they lied. They sinned. In verse 27, it says, and they plundered the city because, they, verse 27 says, they did this because their sister had been defiled. Again, they chose, and they chose to sin. Verse 31, is the defense they give Jacob is what was done to their sister. That is inadequate for the actions they took. What happened to Dinah was a horrible, violent act. I am not diminishing that in any way. It was a horrible, violent act. However, what we need to remember in these times is that someone else's sin does not give us an excuse to sin. Someone else's inappropriate behavior does not give us an excuse to behave inappropriately. Someone else's sin does not give us an excuse to sin. Quit believing it does. Quit believing that their behavior gives you the right and, and, and you know, to, to go and do something that doesn't, that, that violates God's standards. Use God's standards, not the world's standards with your anger. Use God's standards. They're using the world standards. That's not what we're to be doing. That's not what we're to be about. We're to be God's people and we're to use his standards. Yes, sometimes it's difficult, very difficult, extremely hard. It doesn't change the fact that I cannot use someone else's sin to excuse my sin. The brothers tell Shechem and Hamor here that the problem is that they're not circumcised when their real issue was the fact that, that, he had, that Shechem had defiled their sister. And did you notice then they took what was supposed to be a very sacred sign of their submission to God's covenant, circumcision. They took what was supposed to be that very sacred thing. They emptied it of its significance and they used it to plot murder. Something that was supposed to be a symbol of their consecration and commitment to God. And now they're using that as an excuse. Empty it completely of any connection to God at all. And what they do is use that sacred ceremony for a sinful purpose. And strangely enough to me as I'm reading this, Shechem and Hamor did not find this odd or out of line as a request. Verse 20 tells us that they took the matter to the men of the city gate, uh, the place where the official business was conducted. Uh, that had to be some conversation. Uh, you know, that's, that's all I got to convince them of it. Now we're, we're given 
You know, we're, we're given a little bit of the exchange here. What seems stranger to me, though, is that that able-bodied men agreed. You know, they agreed to the request. That just still blows my mind. But notice, they agreed because they saw a chance to increase their own wealth. They said, do this, and then won't their stuff be ours? Won't their cattle and their things be ours? Won't their wealth be ours? Won't their women be ours? Look at look at how good we're going to do. We're just going to kind of absorb these people and his family into our society. Remember, they're the odd man out right now. Jacob and his family are the minority. So all the able-bodied men were circumcised. All I can say is greed will cause us to do some strange things. It still does. Greed still causes us to do strange things. I, I, you know, I, I've seen families torn apart by greed. You know, it, 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 just total separation. It does strange things. Three days. Three days after this mass circumcision, you know, when the pain level and the swelling reached their worst point, then Simeon and Levi, uh, probably along with their servants here, you know, but they went into town and they murdered all the able-bodied men. Now, special mention was made that Shechem and Hammer were among those killed, but it wasn't just limited to them. Now, lest you think that justice was done here, this was revenge. Simeon and Levi's actions had consequences of justice, though. You know, they, they had violated God's law. You know, God was, God was very clear, and they had violated God's law. Now, they were excluded from, from any allotment of the territory years later in the land that God promised to give them. When Jacob's announcing the final blessing on his sons in Genesis 49, which we may get to in a year or two, uh, it says, Simeon and Levi are brothers. This is, this is as, as Jacob's given the blessing, you know, to all of his sons. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their knives are vicious weapons. May I never enter their council. May I never join their assembly. For in their anger, they kill men. And on a whim, they hamstring oxen. Their anger is cursed, for it is strong. And their fury, for it is cruel. That is not a word to describe the actions of God. I will disperse them throughout Jacob and scatter them throughout Israel. They don't get a land. They don't get a piece of the territory. Jacob is not pleased with what they did. God was not pleased with what they did. God was not honored by what they did. God's pretty clear we're not to commit murder, we're not to steal. Both of these things happened as a result of Judah's sons taking revenge. Because you know what happens? Seeking revenge is taking God's place. You are putting yourself in God's place. Their response to Jacob closes out the train wreck. It says, you know, they answered, should he have treated our sister like a prostitute? Now, if that's the only question to consider, if that's the only question to consider, then their actions are a bit more understandable, but still reprehensible. You know, there's a bit more understandable. Another more important question to ask is, how does God say 
I'm to respond. I didn't say this was an easy question to answer. I said it's a more important question to answer. How does God say I'm to respond? Because you see, if we're looking at how God says we're to respond, then that brings a proper response to every situation. If we respond how God says I'm to respond, then that brings that proper response to every situation. Uh, Pete and I get together on, on Tuesdays, and on this last Tuesday we looked at Romans 12, and I told him, I said, you know, this is just a great passage. It's going to come up on Sunday. Uh, and this is the passage we looked at. It's, God gives, God, it's kind of God's perspective on revenge here. Notice what it says, Romans chapter 12. Love, love must be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Detest. Not excuse not wink at, not think it's okay. Detest evil. Anything that opposes God is evil. Detest that. Cling to what is good. Good is defined by God, not good is defined by our society. Good as defined by God. Cling to what is good. Show family affection to one another with brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lack diligence. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord, not your anger. Serve the Lord, not revenge. Serve the Lord, he says. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Got to be kidding me. In case you didn't get it, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be in agreement with one another. Do not be proud. Where does revenge come from a lot of times? Our pride. Our pride. Yeah. Instead, it says, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Anyone that includes your enemies who you call to love, do not repay anyone evil for evil. What is revenge? Evil for evil. Do not do that, he says. Try to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. Again, honorable as defined by God, not as defined by society. Honorable as defined by God. If possible, on your part... Live at peace with everyone. Live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for his wrath. For it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. When we... Go for revenge. We are taking God's place. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will heap fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil. When you are acting from revenge, you are conquered by evil. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. It's still 
blows my mind when I see these people who had horrible violence done against them. And they forgive the person who did this against them and build a relationship with them and, and work to help their good and work to help them and many times to help them come to know God. God tells us that should be common among his people. Vengeance belongs to God. When we take vengeance on someone, we take what belongs to God. We take on the role of God. Now, I find it very interesting here that God is mentioned in the very last verse of chapter 33. Look at the, look at the, at the very last verse of chapter 3. Uh, God is, uh, chapter 33, excuse me. God is, God is mentioned there. It says, and he set up an altar there and called it God, the God of Israel. Now, look at the very first verse of chapter 35. God said to Jacob, get up, go to Bethel. Now, what you have here is, is God is mentioned in the very last verse of 33, the very first verse of 35, not once in verse 34, in chapter 34. God is not mentioned there. When you leave God out of your thinking, when you leave God out of your decisions, you do foolish and sinful things. Here's the point we need to remember. God's people don't take revenge. Instead, they follow God. Now, at the end of every sermon in this series so far, this is the 14th one, you know, I give you one of these points. And the point of these statements at the end of the uh, uh, sermon is to highlight what's, what some of the standards that God calls us to as laid out for us in these chapters. Now, we will struggle with them. We will struggle with them, but we should allow room for them in our hearts. We should allow them to have a part in our life. Don't be conquered by evil. Don't take revenge. Instead, follow God. Let's pray.